go ahead and talk about our special day coming up uh, this Sunday. Every first day of the week is huge and special because of that God has set it aside. It is the first day. It's the day of our Lord's resurrection. It's the day that God set up for the church to gather in a special way to worship, to learn, to encourage each other. But on occasion we have opportunity to have uh, guest teachers with us and we have a very special guest coming our way this, this Sunday. His name is Brother Don Blackwell. Uh, Don is um, a minister with the South Haven Church of Christ, South Haven, Mississippi, over there in the Memphis area. He is, um, he is known uh, to be associated and one of the directors of the Gospel Broadcasting Network. But his heart is in sending the Gospel as far and wide as it can be sent and to do as much good as we can while we're here. He suffered a four-wheeler accident about a year and a half ago. He was holding a gospel meeting over in Virginia. The place where he was at was a place where I've been before. I have a good friend that preaches there, uh, Eddie Gilpin. And Eddie lives out in the country in Virginia. A lot of black bears over there, so he was showing Don around. And uh, they hit a little rise in the field and... The four-wheeler uh, flipped on him, and he and his wife were both injured, but Don more severely, so Don is in a wheelchair, but he hasn't stopped, and he'll bring a powerful lesson to us Sunday, in fact, three powerful lessons for us this Sunday. I was talking to Don yesterday, and he said tomorrow he'll be going to a hospital and having some... Um, what he called nerve blocks because um, he still has quite a bit of pain every day. And um, nonetheless, he said that he's hoping that will bring him to midway and in better shape than he's been in several uh, months. He has cut down. He's traveling quite a bit. But um, we are within a couple of hours of where Don lives. And so uh, he is uh, coming our way. So he'll come in Saturday afternoon, and he'll stay at the uh, Hampton Inn there in Decatur, and then he'll be with us Sunday for um, our two services, Sunday morning lunch, and then our 2 p.m. service this Sunday. I say all that to say Don's going to uh, extra trouble uh, to be here to make this Sunday special, and so in return, let's do all we can. Uh, to reach out to others, tell them about this Sunday, and let's make this a good day uh, for all of us. We're going to do a, a word study together this evening, and so get your Bibles ready. There are several, of course, there are several ways of studying scriptures. I love to take the Bible and do character studies and just like look at the life of Jeremiah or the life of Elijah or the life of John the Baptist, or the life of Barnabas, and just see all that the Bible says about a person's life. And we call that a biographical study. Last Wednesday night, we did sort of a topical study uh, from the cultural issues that are invading uh, our families 
we look and see what the Bible had to say about some of those topics. So we can do topical studies. Oftentimes we'll take a chapter out of the Bible or a book of the Bible and do just a study from a certain chapter or a book. But this evening we'll do a word study. In several of our uh, gatherings in the last few weeks, this word keeps coming up, the word heir, the word inheritance. And so I'd like for us to look at this word uh, together, basically just from the New Testament. Um, as we go through these passages, I invite your uh, comments because some of this will be very familiar to you, and then there'll be some passages that we have not looked at uh, in a while. Here are some of the things I want you to look for um, as, we, as we go into our lesson. I want you to notice that the gospel plan of salvation is found connected to being an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. Okay. The final stage of our inheritance is, of course, our reward in heaven, the eternal hope that we have. So we look for that as well as we study this word and these words together and these passages. Also notice that uh, we must be uh, faithful all the way to the end of our time on earth in order to receive uh, the inheritance that God has prepared for us. Okay. And then the idea of our being heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, ought to bring a lot of joy and confidence our way. It ought to improve, it ought to uh, guide our outlook on life and help us to be a greater light that shines very brightly uh, in this world. If indeed what we read together this evening is true, then uh, by all means we ought to be the happiest, most joyful people walking on the face of the earth. And so let's look for that as well. One of the main things is to consider how important God considers His family. God looks at us as a family, His spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, he is our Father, and He takes this very seriously. It's an honor. And these verses that we read together will bring this out again and again. The honor that it is, the, the high... <coughs> privilege it is to, to actually think about walking with God in this life and in that which is to come. It's hard to put the words to how meaningful that ought to be uh, to each of us. Uh, Christopher upstairs, uh, can I go back? It's hard for me. Can I go back to the screen that was just before us? Okay, thank you. Uh, the technical definition of the idea of being an heir is a person who inherits or has a right of inheritance in the property of another, usually following the latter's uh, death. Okay. And um, you might recall that the prodigal son, what did he ask for as he left home? Yeah, he asked for his inheritance kind of early. And what did he do with that inheritance? He squandered it. So Luke 15, 
beginning in verse 11, uh, tells us about that. In Luke 12, about verse 13, Jesus uh, was uh, approached by two fellows who were, who were fighting. You ever heard of that? Fighting over an inheritance. That's, that's never heard of, is it? So, but they were. And so Jesus took the opportunity to say that a man's life does not consist in the things which he possesses there in Luke 12, uh, 15, 13 to 15. So that's the basic idea. And the, and the grand thing is that God has prepared for us to inherit his blessings that he has for us now, but then even greater, the blessings after uh, this life. Okay. So let's look at the word heir uh, together. All right. Let's start in Romans chapter 8. Here we go. Romans chapter 8. Notice in your Bible... We'll start in verse 12. This is going to be one of the contexts in which the word error appears. I'll begin reading in verse 12. So then, brothers, Paul says, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, but by the Spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So notice there that if we are going to be sons of God, children of God, then we do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God, according to God Himself. And we live by God, by His Spirit, by listening to His words in Scripture. Ephesians 6 and 17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is uh, the Word of God. And So that is primarily how God leads us in this life. And He teaches us through His Word not to live for the flesh, but live uh, for Him, for the Spirit. Okay. And He says, And we cry, by whom we cry, Abba. Father. We mentioned this verse uh, Sunday evening. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's kind of a dual witness of who we are. Twofold witness. First, God in His Word says, here's who my children are. Okay. And then we respond to that through our spirit, through our intellect and heart that God has given us, and we understand that and so we obey that. Okay? We allow God's Spirit to teach us how to be saved, how to become a child of God through faith and repentance and baptism. And that puts us into that adoption state, that being a child of God. And so as a dual witness, the Spirit of God witnesses it, witnesses to it, and then our own Spirit witnesses to it as well. So notice what Paul says here. He says, uh, and if we are children, then we are heirs. There it is. We are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, we want to be glorified with the Lord. Okay. Romans eight eighteen, next verse, says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. But before we get to that glorified state, 
we must be heirs of God, children of God, and willing to suffer, to suffer with Him. Now, there are stages of maturity. We learn when we're really young to be grateful for what we have. And then we learn to be generous with what we have. And then we learn that we must take what we have and actually sacrifice and suffer uh, for the good of other people, for the sake of other people's uh, salvation. Okay, so would you like to make any other comments here about this context of Romans 8, uh, 12 through 17? We are heirs with God and joint heirs uh, with Christ. It's a high calling, but it's not a calling without a sacrifice. It's a great way for us to stop and consider uh, our own lives and how much we are giving up uh, for the Lord's cause. Okay, look back now to Romans chapter uh, 4 and verse uh, 13 where Paul says concerning Abraham, the promises of Abraham. Remember the ultimate promise of Abraham was that Jesus would come to this earth through his seed and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed uh, through the Lord. But notice that Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law, that is the old law of Moses, but through the righteousness of faith. So Paul is trying to help people in his day understand that it was necessary for the old law to be abolished and nailed to the cross because ultimately the, the promise of God was not contained in the old law. The old law had its purpose for the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Okay, and it had a very important purpose. But ultimately, it was not to be eternal. It was not to be forever. Okay. It would be the law of Christ that would guide his people, and Abraham pointed to that time. Abraham is pointing to the spiritual seed um, of Christ, which is us, if we are his sons. Okay. So, it says here that the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world, that is, Abraham would bring uh, salvation through Christ, through his seed, and through the promise that God made through Abraham, did not come through the law. Did Abraham live before or after the giving of the law of Moses? Before. How long before? Several years before, right? About how long? Yeah, about 400 years. 400 years. And that's something that the Jews of Paul's day needed to stop and realize that the righteousness of their day was not to be found in the old law because the promise of Christ came through Abraham and Abraham lived, you know, um, 400 years before the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So, that's just a, a little sideline verse there. Let's move to the next one here in Galatians chapter 3. Let's turn to Galatians 3 and notice the word air uh, there. Galatians 3 in your Bibles. Paul pointing to that very thing throughout Galatians 3 that we just talked about. 
how that the promise of Abraham came through Jesus and, uh, and his gospel. And then getting down to talk about the children, Galatians 3.26. For in Christ Jesus you are sons, you are the children of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, what? Then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according uh, to the promise. Notice that this is how God was creating unity. Is that, you, that we would all follow Christ and obey him, become the children of God through that faith and baptism. And that way everybody unites uh, with Christ and under Christ to be the heirs of God. Now notice that today God does not have a political nation. Okay. In some sense, God's nation of Israel through the kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, and many other kings, became a very political uh, nation. But today, God has no political nation. Okay. God's nation consists of everybody who follows Christ, no matter where they live. Okay. If we are obedient to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to uh, the promise. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2 with me a minute. 1 Peter chapter 2. Addressing Christians, Peter says, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice what that nation is to be doing. We are the nation of God today, heirs according to his promise. And we proclaim all the goodness of God, all the excellencies, excellencies of God all the marvelous traits of God, all the, all the blessings of God found in, uh, in salvation in Christ. Okay. So notice this from Galatians chapter 3, uh, 26 through 29. Okay. So as we go through these passages and notice the word heir, let's continue to remember the importance of the gospel plan. Okay. Notice how that faith and baptism there in Galatians 3 is connected to becoming children of God and heirs of God. Okay. Remember from Romans chapter 8 that to become a child of God, you are led by the Spirit. And the Spirit, through His teachings, leads us to, to come into Christ, become part of His family, but also learn not to live according to the flesh or according to the world, but rather die to the world and live uh, for Christ. Right. Look at Galatians 4 now. And let's have somebody read for us uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Anybody would like to just take off and read Galatians 4, 1 through 7. We'll see how this connects to being an heir of God. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. Then I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, servant, or he be Lord of all, but is under tutors, governor until the time appointed the father. 
even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because of ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into the hearts, crying out the Father. Just verse 7. Go ahead. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, if a son being an heir of God through Christ. Okay, very good. So notice what Paul's saying here. He's trying to relate to us some of the customs of the ancient world. And if a family was able to have both children and slaves or servants, then for a good period of time, the son or daughter, um, especially the son, would just operate at the household much like the servants would. Okay. But the dad, the father, would appoint a certain day or time in which he would be, his son would officially become his son, the heir. And so what he's doing there, he's comparing that to us in our conversion to Christ. Okay. Uh, just like there's a certain time in that particular family setting where the son is not yet the heir. Okay. So before we were converted to Christ, we were not officially the child of God. We were not an heir and joint heirs with Christ. Okay. In fact, notice what he says here. He says... Uh, Verse 3, in that same way also we were children, when we were children, uh, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That is, uh, for Paul and some of his brethren, before they were converted to Christ, uh, they were enslaved to the old law, the ways of the old law. Uh, for others who come to Christ, they were enslaved to other philosophies of the world. Whatever that may be, before we come to Christ, we are serving something else besides Christ. But once we come to Christ, then we put all, put all of that away. We die to it, and now Christ becomes our, our ruler. Christ becomes our king. Christ becomes our, our master. Okay. And we become children of God, heirs uh, with Christ. And God's Holy Spirit here is now in our lives. Notice how... That works out here. Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. God works on our behalf. It's one of the great privileges of being a, a child of God is that God is now working in our behalf. The Spirit cries, Abba, Father, in our behalf. Sometimes we don't know how to exactly uh, relate to God. Sometimes we don't know how to um, word our prayers. Uh, but the Spirit uh, is able to intercede in our behalf and cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It's interesting that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his trial and death. According to Mark 14, 36, um, you remember he prayed, 
not my will, Father, but yours be done. But in Mark's record, it has Jesus calling out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. That has the idea of a very sweet and tender way of calling upon one's father. And so it's, it's, again, realize that the gospel plan, Galatians 3, is associated with this, but also think about how that God wants us to be part of his family, and he wants us to know that once we're in his fold, that he's going to be working in our behalf. He doesn't want us, he doesn't want us to be living for the world anymore. He, he wants us to be... Uh, his servants, but he also wants us to bring, he wants to bring us home to him. Hold your Bibles there and glance um, back to 2 Corinthians 6 for a second. 2 Corinthians 6. Let's pick up in about verse 14. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, beginning in verse 14. Brother Ken, do you have that? Uh, read 14 through. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with burial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them walk among them. I will be their God, and that should be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness of God. Okay. So notice from that passage just how much of first of, of an honor it is to be considered son or daughter of God, but then what a high calling it is. Because we have to come out from all filth of the world. None of the filth of the world is to be attached to our lives whatsoever. That starts very young. And that's why we bring out lessons that we brought out last week and some of the ways in which the culture and how the devil is working through the home especially to bring filthiness to the lives of sinners or lives of Christians. And compare that with these type passages from Romans 8 and from Galatians 3 and 4 and then back here in 2 Corinthians if we're going to be a son or daughter, then we can't be walking according to the world. Notice how that par- paragraph finishes up there, Ken read for us. Having these promises. Okay. Do you want these promises? Do we want to be a child of God? Do we want that hope after this life? Do we want the, the Holy Spirit of God working in our behalf? Do we want to be considered a son or daughter? Then having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves 
from about half of all filthiness. Is that what it says? Chapter 7, verse 1, what does your say, Jill? Cleanse ourselves from what? Hmm? How much of it? All of it. All of it. So, I'll just relate something to you that my daughter and I have been talking about. This is the youngest daughter, Anna. He's up at uh, Fried Hardeman. Fried Hardeman is a fine school. Fine school. So this is not to reflect on Fried Hardeman. But her English teacher gave them a, an assignment to read a certain book. And the English teacher told them, said, now, there are some pages there in the last few chapters of the book that are um, quite filthy. But he said, the point, the book brings out the point we're trying to make in class, whatever that is. And so Anna read it, and she said, it wasn't just a little filthy, it was very filthy. I said, Anna, go talk to the teacher. She said, you want me to go talk to the teacher? I said, yes, go talk to him. And so she did. She did. And she just told him that she thought that there would be other ways of bringing out the point he wanted to bring out without exposing uh, people to feel. Evidently, it struck a nerve because uh, after class and later that day, he sent Anna a long email telling, um, telling her how much he appreciated the uh, her thoughts on that, and that he would take that into uh, consideration. Uh, well, why would why would why are we messing around with Phil? I, I guess that's the thing. Um, and when Anna was telling me about that, I was thinking about this very passage. Why why are we me- why are we voluntarily uh, wanting to have Phil? Why would we ever do that as children of God? Why would we even consider uh, that? And so. Um, Anyway, maybe that plays into it a little bit. But notice uh, from Galatians 4 here that there is a dedication that's made that before we're heirs, we lived according to a certain or lived according to a certain philosophy to the course of this world. But now things should be much, much uh, different. Right. Let's move on to the next page. Turn to uh, James chapter two. James chapter 2. A familiar uh, verse to you. James is saying, uh, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen the poor ass of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Notice that we want to be heirs to the kingdom. And so what is James saying here with this verse? Somebody explain it to us. Why is James asking this question? Has not God chosen the poor as of this world, rich in faith, and heirs to the kingdom which God has prepared for them to love him? What is, what is James teaching here? He's been talking about partiality. Okay, he's been talking about partiality. And toward who? Yeah, showing favoritism 
This is kind of an assembly type setting that James introduces here in James 2. And some who were, who were wealthy coming into assembly, well, they got all the attention from some. But then some coming into the assembly that kind of looked like um, they didn't come from such a wealthy place, they weren't given near the attention. And that's what James is addressing here. And he asks this question, has not God chosen the poorest of this world, rich in faith, and heirs to the kingdom? So does that mean, Brother Ken, that only the poor are going to be heirs to the kingdom? What do you think? More of a heart issue? More of a heart issue. Who wants to elaborate on that? That's a, good, that's a good passage to relate. Blessed are the poor in spirit from the Sermon on the Mount. For there is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So you want... Go ahead. The rich have a temptation to put their faith in the riches. For those who are poor, they have to put their faith in God because they don't have anything else. Okay. That tends to be the way uh, that it is. But the big teaching here, of course, is that God does not choose heirs to his kingdom based on financial standing. That's the big thing. A rich man can be rich in faith. A poor man can be rich in faith. The thing is, are we humble enough to receive the teachings of God and obey them, thereby becoming rich in faith? And if we are, then we become heirs to the kingdom of God. James is making an excellent point here and a very needed point as people are practicing this favoritism as they come into the assembly. Yeah, he sums it up there in verse 8. Yeah, yeah he brings up, he, he's saying here in verse 8, love, love your neighbors yourself. Remember that Remember the central law to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Several ways in which James addresses this issue, but one of them is here, the one we're focused here on verse number five. Right? And then this passage from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, we talked about this just a while back, uh, the husband and wife relationship. Husband and wives are meant to be heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together. That's God's idea. If you look in 1 Peter 3, uh, starting in verse 1 and 2, he, sets, you know, he brings out a situation where a wife would be a Christian and her husband is not, and what she should do, she should try to be the very best example she could be. Okay. Because God's intent is they both help each other go to heaven. This is a passage that you'll want your little daughters and your little boys to memorize. Okay. Because we want them to understand that marriage is about helping each other go to heaven and then 
with your marriage, reaching out into the world and helping others go to heaven. So everybody can be heirs of the grace of life. God's grace bringing us Jesus and bringing us the gospel and our submission to that allows us to have spiritual life, you see. Ephesians 2, the first few verses says that before we come to Christ, we are dead in sin. But in coming to Christ and obeying Him, we, become, we can become alive again. Okay. Um, it's worth our time. I know we're running out. But look at Ephesians 2. Running out of time here. Ephesians 2, but it's just so good. So good. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2, 5. By grace have you been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now that's just got the gospel plan written all over it. Okay. We were dead in our trespasses. Okay. But God's grace came into our lives through the knowledge of the gospel. And we learn that there is a resurrection that puts us in Christ. What is that resurrection? Well, it can't be anything else other than the waters of baptism. In fact, Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 4 that when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death, and we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4 talks about coming out of baptism and we're walking in newness of life. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 says, the husbands and wives ought to be heirs together of what? The grace of life. That's, to, that's two identical things. Romans 6, verse 4, 1 Peter 3, 7 are talking about the same thing. And so it's our goal that both husband and wife be Christians. Just like Aquila and Priscilla made such a powerful evangelistic team. We read about them in the book of Acts. So that's God's idea for all of us. You can see that. Alright. Um, so, here we are, getting close. But the next word here is inheritance. We have several passages um, about the inheritance Let's look as we close our class. Let's look at in the book of Acts. Go with me to Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 32. This would be a good one uh, for us to close on. Quickly, Acts 20, 32. Paul to the church at Ephesus, particularly the elders of the church at Ephesus, he said, Now I commend you to God and the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance, the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Is that what your Bible says? Sanctified. Sanctified. So how does God sanctify us? Well, a parallel verse there is Ephesians 5 and 26. What does that say? God cleanses the church and sanctifies it by the washing of the water by the word. Okay. 
So it's almost as if God is using this idea of being adopted children and becoming heirs of God. It's almost as if he's using this to draw people to him so that we can learn faithfulness in Christ. So be sure uh, to have uh, some of these notes uh, written down. Notice in Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for what? They shall inherit the earth. How is it that our focus is to be on heaven and not the earth, but then Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, you can disagree, but here's what I think. He goes back to this, this honor, this confidence, this joy that we are to have as children of God. And if we are truly children of God, then we are able to conduct ourselves the very best way while on earth. We are able to enjoy life the best of any people because we know what life is about. We know the temporary nature of this earth. We know what's waiting on us after this life. We know the privilege and blessing it is to be adopted children of God. We are uh, on a mission to have everybody else to know these blessings as well. So wouldn't it be the case that we would be the people who would be the most joyful, joyful, uh, the, the most excited people living on earth. So I, that's just what I think. Maybe there's something else there that I'm missing. Blessed are the meat, for they shall inherit uh, the earth. The earth is not our eternal inheritance, but we are here. And we are to make the most of our life in Christ uh, while we're here. Just a thought to consider there. Lots of other passages dealing with the word heir and inheritance, but maybe this will be a good introduction for your further study uh, along the way.